you have your Bibles with you today or your iPad or your pad or whatever it is, uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 20. We're continuing on in our study in the book of Acts, We Are Sent. This week, we are sent to be faithful. Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem for the very last time. He knows that he's most likely going to enter a course of extreme hardship and eventual death. But he will not be deterred because he's a man who's faithful. And he's seeking to pass on that faithfulness to every generation, including you and me. Luke, the doctor, is traveling now in in Acts 20 with Paul again. And this is how he records it when he says the we, Luke is writing this as he was there to witness it. This is what he wrote. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because we were going there on foot. When he met us at Assos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem if possible by the day of Pentecost. And what follows after that, we're going to get into a little bit more here in just a minute. Let's pray for a moment. Father, Paul was a man who would not be deterred. He was faithful to what you had called him to do. That's why his life was so impacting. And you have called us in the same calling. We are sent to be faithful. Thank you for the many people who are. And amongst all of us, God, we want to learn today how important it is for us to be faithful in our own generation with this gospel that's still saving people who believe it. Because just like Paul, we are sent to be faithful. And we thank you for that reminder in Jesus' name. Amen. In the late 1980s, Carla and I were at the Red Lion Conference Center in Portland, Oregon for a pastor's meeting. There was a It was in conjunction with Multnomah and their mission conference they held every year. And um, I had never been to a mission conference before, and they brought in missionary speakers from all over the world to tell us as students uh, what it was like to serve on the mission field and how God could use us anywhere in the world. To make a long story short, we're sitting in a room, and uh, this guy gets up from Saudi Arabia. And he tells how for the last 20 years he's been serving faithfully there amongst the Muslim people. One of the students asked him, how many people have come to Jesus over the last 20 years of your ministry? And he said to them, to my knowledge, none. Which prompted the student to ask, well, how do you deal with such an apparent lack of success? I mean, 20 years, not a single convert. And I'll never forget what the man told him. He said, young man, God didn't send me to Saudi Arabia to be successful. He sent me to Saudi Arabia to be faithful. Faithful to God. Faithful to the gospel. Faithful to the ministry. And I leave the results with him. You know, when I heard that that day, that set my life on a whole different trajectory. You and I are raised in an atmosphere of success measured by human standards. 
But God is very different. He's called us not to be successful, but to be faithful. Paul was a man who was faithful. Because he wasn't looking to be found successful in the eyes of man, but to be found faithful in the eyes of God. That's why Luke said, we went on ahead to the ship, verse 13, sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard, but he had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. Paul's companions take a coastal ship, but they don't have Paul on board because he's going to walk the 20 miles from Troas down to Assos. He doesn't tell us why. Maybe he just wanted to be alone. Maybe it was that time when the Holy Spirit began to communicate some of the things he was telling the people of Ephesus. But whatever it is, he walks that 20 miles. He rejoins the, his crowd there at Assos. He gets back on the ship. He sails from Assos to Mytilene, from Mytilene to Chios, from Chios to Samos. And if you look on a map, he's touching base on the little islands that are dotted off the western coast of modern-day Turkey. And finally, he arrives at a place called Mytilene. He'd sailed past Ephesus, one of the prominent cities of the whole region. Because he was in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem before Pentecost. He left Philippi on the European continent at Passover. He had 50 days to get back to Jerusalem. He was already running behind. So he goes past Ephesus. One of the reasons being, last time he was there, it had caused a riot. He could be arrested. He could be delayed. He didn't want to take the chance. So he goes 30 miles south and stops on the coast at Mytilene. And he sends back for the Ephesian elders, the leaders in the church, to meet him there. For he has some things he wants to share with them. And so they arrive. And Paul tells them in verse 18, You know how I lived with you the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Paul said, you know how I've lived among you. You know what I've preached. You know the things that I've endured. And you know now that I'm not going to stop. I will not be dissuaded from fulfilling what God has given me to do. Paul knew he was sent by Jesus and he was going to remain faithful to what Jesus had asked him to do no matter what. And it's no different for you and me. For Luke reminds us through Paul's life that God has sent us to be faithful. Faithful to what? Well, as we're going to see today, like Paul, we have been sent, first of all, to be faithful to the message. Paul said in verse 17, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I've lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility, with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. In the year 2000, there was an event that kind of rocked the pharmaceutical world in this country. A pharmacist by the name of Robert Courtney from Kansas City was charged with diluting cancer drugs he was dispensing to make them go further so that he could increase his profits. He had so diluted the drugs that they were no longer capable of helping any of the people who were taking them. And he did it for personal gain. 
He was arrested. He was charged with multiple felony counts. And it rocked the whole medical world at the time. When I was reading this article about what had happened there, Michael Owenby, who wrote this article back then in USA Today, said, this man held life-saving power in his hands. And he abused it for personal gain. To the point where he could no longer help any of these people. And then he said, we can do the same with the life-saving truth of the gospel. You see, you and I in the gospel message hold the very power of God in that message. It's the power of God for salvation, Paul said to all who believe. If we dilute that message, we water it down, or we fail to share it at all, then we are putting millions of people at risk because there is no plan B. You and I are called to be faithful to the gospel message. Paul was faithful to that message. Paul told them, I've been faithful to the message by the way I've lived. Do you see it in verse 18? You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. Consistency. Paul didn't live one way in private and another way in public. He didn't live one way at church and another way at work. There was consistency in the message. Because you see, when a person becomes a Christian, the gospel doesn't make you have a new lifestyle. It causes you to become a different person. A person who is filled with the Lord Jesus Christ and he lives that life out consistently wherever you are and whatever the context. Paul said, you know how I've lived among you with that faithfulness. That's why later on in Ephesians 4, when Paul writes back to this very Ephesian church, he reminds them of the importance of living this kind of consistency. I've told you before that the book of Ephesians is one of the powerful books of the New Testament. It is Christianity in its fullness. The first three chapters tell what a real Christian is. It's a person who has Jesus living in them. That's a Christian. The last three chapters tell us how a real Christian lives. And the application section begins with these words in chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The literal words there are bring up the beam of the scale. That's what they mean. In other words, you profess that Jesus Christ lives in you and you have been entrusted with a life-saving message as you follow Jesus. So now, bring up your life to be consistent with what you profess. That's living worthy. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul said, I lived before you that message faithfully. But more than that, he said he had been faithful to the message and what he preached. In verse 20, he said, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared both to Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. I haven't 
hesitated to teach you anything that would be helpful. Literally, I haven't held anything back. I've told you the whole counsel of God's word. I've given you the gospel in its completeness. I shared the same message he said in the public square. I shared the same message privately from house to house because the gospel doesn't change. He said in verse 21, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. His message was consistent. You need to repent of your sin. You need to turn around. Your sin is destroying you. And you need to put your faith in the Lord Jesus because he's the only one who can save. You and I are called to be faithful to the same message. As Paul told the Corinthian church, you've been entrusted with the gospel. Remember what he wrote to them in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2? Now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. He went on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, the next time he wrote to them in verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. You know, each time I read that, it's like God asked me, Larry, are you compelled to share this message as Paul was? Are you convinced that Jesus died for all? Are you convinced that people are lost and dying without the gospel? Because if you are convinced of those things, you will be faithful to this message. Paul went on to say in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Paul tells these Ephesian elders that he was sent to be faithful to the message by how he lived and what he preached. You and I are no different in our generation. And not just faithful to the message, but like Paul, we've been sent to be faithful to the mission. Paul said this in verse 22. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. We just had Veterans Day, a time to honor the veterans on Friday and Saturday. Uh, Carla and I were at a little meeting at a local hospital. Carla sang the national anthem. ROTC kids were there. Color Guard was there. It was a really meaningful observance. I've been thinking a lot this weekend about our veterans, and I came across this story that was adapted from a book by Mitchell Zuckoff called Lost in Shangri-La. It came out in 2012. Listen to what he wrote in there. Near the end of World War II, a plane carrying 24 members of the U.S. military crashed into the New Guinea jungle. The three survivors, suffering from gangrene and hunger, were stranded deep in a jungle valley notorious for its cannibalistic tribes. 
The Army tapped a special battalion of 66 jump qualified members of the first recon group led by C. Earl Walter, Jr. This battalion's daring motto was Bahalana, a phrase from the Philippines that can be translated, come what may. There was only one way to rescue the survivors. Earl Walter was going to recruit 10 volunteers, including two medics, would be willing to parachute into the dense jungle and extract the survivors. It was a dangerous plan. Walter stood before those 66 men and gave these potential volunteers four warnings. First, he said, the area they'd be jumping into was marked unknown on maps, so they would have nothing but their wits and their compass to guide them out. Second, the jungle was so thick, it would be what Walter called the worst possible drop zone. Third, if they survived the jumps, their band of men would confront a very good possibility that the natives will prove hostile. But Walter saved the worst for last. No one had a plan, not even a rough one, to get them out of the valley. They might have to hike some 150 miles to either the north or south coast of New Guinea through some of the most inhospitable terrain on earth with crash survivors who might be hurt and unable to walk on their own. Complicating matters, if they hiked north, they would go through an area known as the domain of the headhunters and the cannibals. If they hiked to the south, they'd pass through jungle swamps occupied by 10,000 Japanese troops. Death was a strong possibility either way. Walter said when he finished his litany of warnings, he waited a moment to let it sink in. And then he said to the men in the room, I'm looking for 10 volunteers. He said without hesitation, all 66 stood up and came forward. faithful to the mission. Paul knew from the very beginning that his faithfulness was going to cost him his life. But he was faithful to the mission anyway. You see, the Holy Spirit had been revealing to Paul that prison and hardship was in his future for the sake of the gospel. He said in verse 22, that I'm compelled, he said, by the Spirit. And I'm going to Jerusalem. The word compelled has the idea of um, a certainty of inevitability. In other words, Paul understood when he became a Christian, he knew that it was inevitable that he would be engaged in this mission for Christ, doing whatever God had asked him to do. And there was an understanding by the Holy Spirit that it would be inevitable that it would lead to suffering and eventual death. But he was compelled anyway. The Spirit of God was in control of his life and was compelling him to go to Jerusalem. So he said in verse 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me task of testifying to the good news of God's grace.
So how could he do this? Because Paul had gotten to the point where he said, my life is worth nothing to me. I already died. I gave up my life when I became a Christian. So my life is worth nothing to me. What happens to me is incidental. What matters to me is the mission. Because testifying to the grace of God faithfully is more important than I am. My life's not dear to me, he said. My aim is to complete the task. The mission, the ministry is the word he's using. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. To bear witness to what he knows to be true. With intensity and seriousness. People, it's no different for you and me. You and I have been given a commission and a mission by Jesus. Our commission could not be clear. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's our commission. But we're also given a mission. You remember at the beginning of the book of Acts in chapter 1, verse 8? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What's the mission? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. How we fulfill that mission matters to Jesus. Jesus is the master. He sent us on a mission. And Paul said, I'm going to fulfill it, no matter what. Which is why he could say at the end of his life, in the last letter we believe he ever wrote, facing his own execution in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. I'm offering my life to God. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Paul knew that Jesus, to whom he had been faithful, was going to place the crown of righteousness on his head. And not only that, look at this. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. People, I can assure you, no sacrifice on earth will ever compare to the joy of the moment when Jesus puts the crown of righteousness on the head of those who have been faithful to his mission. There are only two responses we're going to hear at the end of life. Matthew 25. You wicked, lazy servant, or well done good and faithful servant. We are sent to be faithful to the mission of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And not only fruitful to the message and 
are faithful to the message and faithful to the mission, but like Paul, we are sent to be faithful to the ministry. He said in verse 25, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. At one of those meetings in Portland, the morning speaker was Chuck Swindoll himself. He began the meeting that morning talking to a room full of pastors and their wives. He was talking that day about a friend of his who had fallen on hard times. And he began in such a way that it riveted our attention. This is what he said. I have a friend that I've known and loved for 30 years. During that period of time, we have been inseparable. Our friendship has deepened as my appreciation for this friend has intensified. In recent years, my friend has come upon hard times. We have continued to get along beautifully, but others have begun to misunderstand and malign. It's hurt me to hear all the ugly things being said, even though my friend has done nothing wrong and has taken the brunt of unfair, exaggerated, and sarcastic remarks. Not to mention all the unfounded and caustic accusations, there seems to be no let up. It's gotten so bad on occasions, I've wondered if there can ever be a full recovery. In spite of all that has been said against my dear friend, our three-decade commitment remains firm and true. My friend is the ministry. When I heard him say that that morning, I realized in that moment I was part of something bigger than I ever imagined. And it wasn't just because I was planning on finishing school and serving professionally in ministry. I realized in that moment that as a Christian, there's only one ministry. It's the Lord's ministry. And it's given to every single person who's a follower of Jesus. Yeah, there are some who God calls to be pastors and teachers and evangelists and leaders. They have a certain role. But there's no concept in the Bible of that these guys or these women are the ones who are to do the work of the ministry. They have a role to play, an important one. But every single follower of Jesus is in the ministry of Jesus Christ or they are not. Paul was faithful to the ministry. And now he was calling these Ephesian elders to be the same. He told them in verse 25, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today I am innocent of the blood of any of you. If any of you fail to trust Jesus as your Savior and you're lost, you can't pin it on me 
because I have been faithful to tell everybody the good news of the gospel. I've wondered, is that, could that same thing be said of me? In every opportunity I've been given. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. Keep watch over yourselves that you're not led astray, but also over the flock of God that he's entrusted to you. Be their shepherds. Keep watch because there's going to be attacks on the church. Some of those attacks are going to come from the outside, like ravenous wolves coming after the sheep to draw them away from Christ. You need to equip them and teach them so that they're able to recognize that. Because these are the people that carry out my ministry. And you also need to keep watch because there's going to be attacks from within. There are going to be people in your church that are going to rise up and distort the truth and seek to lead people to become disciples of them rather than Jesus. So Paul said, remember, I never stopped warning and watching out for you. I was faithful to this ministry God gave me in the church. And now you need to do the same. So he said, verse 32, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word of God is what you need. It will build you up. And God's grace will strengthen you. Because you are faithful. If you are faithful, you have an inheritance amongst all the saints. Jesus bought the church with his own blood and he called you to serve it. So be faithful to the ministry. The ministry of reconciliation. Do you remember when Paul talked about that with the Corinthian church? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16. Listen to what he told them. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way we do so no longer. In other words there was a time when he said I used to judge people by what I saw. I would judge them as male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, black or white, or whatever color. I would use all the distinction the world used, worldly judgments, but I don't see people that way anymore. I once regarded Christ in this way, but we do so no longer. I see people differently now. I see them this way. They're either reconciled to God and have eternal life, or they're not, and they're lost. That's the way I see people now. You're either with God or you're not. That's why he said in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. 
We are Christ's ambassadors. Do you remember writing back to the Ephesians in chapter 4? Paul told them Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. Verse 14, then we'll be no longer infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Look at this. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body's not made up of one part, but of many. He goes on to say, look, the foot can't tell the hand, I don't need you. The eye can't tell the head, I don't need you. Verse 27, now you are, a bot, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Yesterday at men's breakfast, Pastor Dave Parsons did an amazing job talking about these verses. About how there is one body, the body of Christ, and each one of us who are Christians are part of that body. Now I don't know what part you play, but you have an important part and everyone is indispensable. Dave was talking about yesterday how he got up in the morning and hit his toe on something and broke his little toe. His entire body was affected by his little toe. And then he went on to ask the question. I don't know what part you play, he said, but what if you're the kidney in the body and you just decide today, eh, I ain't going to do my job? Or you're the eye. Or you're the foot. Or you're the hand. Or you're the thyroid. Or you're the heart. Any church is only as strong as every part that makes it up. If you are a Christian and you are not actively engaged in the body, if you are not praying, you are not giving, you are not serving, you are not praying, then you are not building up the body, you are draining it of its strength. In fact, other parts of the body have to pick it up to cover what the other parts are not doing. My brother was born without a hip, no hip. So they fused his femur up here. He had no joint at all. His hip didn't work. So his knees had to accommodate the difference. And over time, his knees wore out because they were designed to be knees, not knees and a hip. When a Christian is a part of a church and they're not doing their part, Someone else is picking up that load, and they may not have been called or designed or gifted to do that part, but they're doing it. 
And the body gets weaker because the other parts are trying to pick up what the other parts aren't doing. Paul said, I'm faithful to the ministry. I had a role to play, and I've played it. I've lived it. I've taught it. And now I'm passing it on to you. Now you go back to your church there at Ephesus. And you fulfill your role as elders. And you equip the people for the work of the ministry. To be faithful to the ministry that Christ has given us. Paul went on to say in verse 33. I didn't do this for silver or gold or clothing. I didn't do it for money. I didn't do it for power. I didn't do it for privilege. I didn't do it for prestige. I did it to give to his body what Jesus gave, his life. Paul was faithful to the ministry, and we are sent to be the same. In one of Chuck Swindoll's books, Living Above the Level of Mediocrity, he was telling, he carefully tried to not name this specific church, But he was telling about a time on a Sunday, believers at a house church in the Soviet Union met in small groups throughout the day so they would not arouse the suspicion of KGB informers. He said they began by singing a hymn quietly and suddenly in walked two soldiers with loaded weapons at the ready. One shouted, if you wish to renounce your commitment to Jesus Christ, leave now. Two or three quickly left. Then another. And after a few moments... Two more. This is your last chance. Either turn against your faith in Christ, he ordered, or stay and suffer the consequence. Two more slipped out into the night. No one else moved. Parents with children trembling beside them looked down reassuringly, fully expecting to be gunned down or imprisoned. The other soldier closed the door, looked back at those who stood against the wall and said, keep your hands up. But this time, in praise to our Lord Jesus Christ. For we too are Christians. We were sent to another house church several weeks ago to arrest a group of believers. The other soldier interrupted. Well, while we were there, we heard the gospel. And we were converted. We have learned by experience, however, that unless people are willing to die for their faith, We cannot fully trust them. We are looking for Christians who will be faithful no matter what. That's what God's looking for. People to be faithful to the message, to the mission and to the ministry no matter what. You see, it says in verse 36, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him, and what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again, not on earth anyway. And then they accompanied him to the ship. Paul had deeply impacted these people over three years of ministry in Ephesus. They had witnessed how he lived. They witnessed how he suffered. They witnessed what he taught, and it changed their lives. Now Paul was leaving, and they could not rely on him anymore. They would never see his face again. And Paul knew and understood that this was a critical moment. 
Because you see, there comes a time in all of our lives when we need to stop relying on the faithfulness of others and step up and become a faithful person ourselves. Paul said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Father, this kind of example is powerful. Paul's not here anymore, but you are, and so is his example. And so is your word. You've committed us to God and the word of your grace. I want to thank you, God, for allowing me and my family to be in a church where so many are faithful. And you have used their example many times to help me to be faithful too. But I don't want to depend on their faithfulness. I want to depend on God and the word of your grace to help me to be a faithful man in every area of my life, but especially in testifying to the good news of the gospel. So Lord, as these days open up ahead of us, with each day that you give us, we don't know what the future holds, but we know him who holds the future. May we, like Paul, be found faithful no matter what because we can't save anybody but you can and you will when we are faithful to the gospel thank you God for his example and the reminder that the same God who lived in him is the same God who lives in us and we thank you in your precious name